Good morning and welcome to another episode of the Mana Podcast. My name is Sam Jeske and joining me again, as usual, is the theologian and church historian, the one and only Jacob Lewis. How's it going? Yeah, it's going all right. Um, hopefully you guys are all enjoying your wonderful Friday. Um, uh, we're going to be uh, kind of continuing where we left off last time. We're um, again looking at the Augsburg Confession. If you haven't checked out our previous episodes on it, I'd highly encourage you to do that. Um, otherwise, we're going to be picking up where we left off. We um, started to, uh, we last episode, we recapped on Article 2, which was on Original Sin. And then we more or less got through the entirety of Article 3, which is the Son of God. Um, is there, um, Jacob, is there some other stuff that we want to touch on with Article 3? The Son of God. Mm, when it comes to the Son of God, um, last time we I kinda... feel like there's quite a bit we could talk about, but uh, I think we, I think, well, we read the whole thing, but I think last time, uh, I think we only got to about about paragraph three. So do you want to maybe read maybe paragraph four read to the four. six? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, we could do that. I'll read this time, huh? Mm-hmm. See, I always just punt it to Jacob and. <laughs> But I guess I'll read this time. So this is referring to Jesus, the Son of God. He also descended into hell and truly rose again on the third day. Afterward, he ascended into heaven to sit at the right hand of the Father. Uh, There he forever reigns and has dominion over all creatures. He sanctifies those who believe in him by sending the Holy Spirit into their hearts to rule, comfort, and make them alive. He defends them against the devil and the powers of sin. The same Christ will openly come again to judge the living and the dead and so forth, according to the Apostles' Creed. I guess a couple things uh, that I can think of right now is that um, in reference to Mary, um, there was the the classic controversy of the... Are you familiar with the Theotokos, Christotokos controversy? Mm-hmm. Um, Greek a words meaning basically um, the... Uh, um, you have uh, Theotokos, so that this was the the bearer of God or the, the, um, the mother of God referring to Mary or Christotokos, the, the mother of Christ. Hmm. And what we're getting into there that it said that assume the human nature in the womb of the blessed Virgin Mary. Um, it is, it is underscoring that, that Mary is the, the mother of God um, there as well. Now, what this doesn't mean is maybe we should get into that a little bit hmm. when it, that it says, the Blessed Virgin Mary. This is not to say that Mary had some innate quality or that she was somehow immaculately conceived. And she, because um, uh, then that would, I mean, if you think about that, if, if, if the condition or qualification for her to be the vehicle through which the Son of God would ride into this world to save it, that would then cause an infinite regress where Mary's parents, or at least one of them anyway, would have to be immaculately conceived all the way to Eve. Yeah. And we know that... Um, <laughs> Well, you know, again, she inherited a sinful nature upon in with the fall into sin, and uh, um, and that sinful nature is passed on from one parent to another. Um, but uh, we also see that what is referred to as the Magnificat, the Song of Mary, those opening verses that Mary then sings, moved by the Holy Spirit. Of course, she said, "My soul proclaims the greatness of the Lord." And my spirit rejoices in God, my what? God, my Savior. Mm. Um, 
those conceived immaculately have no need for salvation. Why The name that Mary and Joseph were to give Jesus was Yeshua. The same Hebrew for Joshua, or Yehoshua, Joshua, Yeshua, hmm. which means the Lord is salvation, or the Lord saves. And when, when the angel expounds on why the name Yeshua, why the name Jesus, because he will save the people from their sins. And this is the same Jesus, or you know, the same Jesus who had come to save Mary. Why she then is moved to sing, "My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior." She needed a Savior too. Um, I guess there's maybe one other thing too is uh, um, that Jesus descended into hell. This is not part of the suffering. Um, this is that actually would be Jesus' descent into hell was actually part of Jesus' exaltation. Um, that's part of the victory lap, mm. you know, the victory circuit. He then goes to hell and says, Satan, you lost. I've won. Um, by my perfect life and my death, I've overcome the powers of hell. You have no claim. Your accusations end. They're done. Mm. You've lost. Um, and uh, um, similarly, the hell that Jesus endured was endured on the cross. Um, that God's you know, the cup of wrath was consumed in its fullness. And then there at the cross, you know, it's down to the last drop had been, had been, had been drank. And, and there Jesus endures and experiences separation from, from his heavenly father, which is, that is, that's what hell is. It is cut off from God and his goodness forever. Somehow, again, we can't wrap our minds around that. The eternality of estrangement and separation from God was compressed into space and time that was endured by the second person of the Godhead on Calvary, on the cross. I think another thing that should be said, too, is that um, um, the um, that when it came down to Christ carrying out his work of salvation both natures played a part in this and that they e they each supplied what was needed in order to carry out the work of salvation. So in the case of Jesus, in order for our Savior uh, to redeem us, he needed to be born under the law like mm -hmm. we are. So that required a human nature. Um, uh, our Savior needed to be true man in that he would suffer and die in our place because the wages of sin is death. He would be the Lamb of God who would be slaughtered, sacrificed for the sins of the world. But, um, as I said last time, um, we needed a true God sacrifice. We needed a we needed our Savior to be true God and that his death would be worth the world. That he would live a perfect life without sin. Um, that he would be tempted in every way that we are, yet he was without sin. Um I'm trying to think what other stuff should we draw out there. And then it says that uh, he um, noticed also is that there was another controversy that had come up in the, um, I'm not exactly sure when, in relation to the time of Luther. It might have been earlier, but there was a controversy of whether, you know, uh, does the spirit, per, you know, proceed from the father? Mm, yeah. Or does it proceed from the father and the son? And... Um, this was, um, yeah, the Eastern church got really salty over this debate. <laughs> I'll yeah, say that. I want to say that, you know, 
Um, yeah, this was. Um, yeah, what I'm trying to remember the the, yeah. the filioque controversy. Yeah. Where is it? And the son. Right. Um, and uh, um, and uh, the idea there is that a lot of a lot of this is that there's some people who made the contest that the son is eternally subordinate to God the Father, mm. and you don't get that impression at all. In fact, Jesus was. There were dudes at, at the time of Jesus picking up stones because they knew exactly what Jesus was putting down. Jesus was claiming to be equal to God the Father. I and the Father are one, Jesus said. And the Pharisees, the, these Jewish religious leaders at the time of Jesus, they knew exactly what he was saying when he was, when he was saying this stuff. And so they pick up stones to, to, to kill him. Um, but... Uh, Jesus is given divine honor and glory and praise and worship. Um, he has divine attributes that only God can have. Um, but these are attributes that are shared by both the Father and the Holy Spirit. Hmm. They're all given glory and honor. Um, they are all omnipotent, omniscient. Um, uh, another thing that you see as, oh, well, then, no, just a, we see Jesus very clearly. Um, sending the Holy Spirit where Jesus said, you know, after it's on the, the, the evening of Easter, right. In the book of John, Jesus then says, peace be with you. And then he, he breathes his spirit, right. He, he, he breathes on him. He pours out the spirit to them and he said, receive the Holy Spirit. Jesus says, um, we definitely see the spirit proceeding from the son. Mm. Um, I think the other thing maybe to touch on is um, that Jesus did not vacate his body upon ascending, that he is true God and true man forever. Um, I think I um, Jacob and I were talking during the break um, after the last episode about, I think sometimes people talk about that Jesus was true man, was part of his becoming a servant, that that was part of his humiliation. But... If that were true, then at his ascension, he would vacate his body. Like he would have to, the incarnate word of God would now need to excarnate. He would need to abandon the tabernacle that was his body or his humanity. Um, and then and then what there would be this, this lifeless blob of, you know, human anatomy <laughs> at the disciple. <laughs> <laughs> which would be rather disconcerting <laughs> but but no what do we see is that we see jesus bodily ascended to heaven right um that and there's a really you know we might miss when we look at the ascension we might miss some really significant stuff there that um this is visibly showing that god desires to be forever married to humanity um and that uh that our savior is true god and true man now for eternity um, which is really cool because that means when you and I, um, when you and I, uh, our God retires our Jersey and ushers us off into the mansions of heaven, we're going to see our God. Mm. Um, when we have, um, you know, on the day of, uh, on judgment day, which we do see, uh, the last pair or the last line of, uh, article three, the same Christ will openly, you might even say visibly, come again to judge the living and the dead and so forth, according to the Apostles' Creed. Um, on the day that our bodies and soul, our bodies and souls are reunited, we're going to be able to hug our Savior. We will be able to wrap our arms around the, count, the contours 
of all our God is. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, whether it be like sections of scripture like Colossians, where it says all the fullness of the deity dwells in bodily form. Yeah. Um, he is the living image of the invisible God. Mm. I can, if I want to know who my God is, I look at Jesus. This Jesus is not God light or diet God <laughs> um, or, you know, I don't know, uh, God without all the carbs. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> this is, Jesus is the real deal. Mm. He is the real deal. Um. Yeah, but here's the cool thing, though, is that just because our God is ascended in, in our, into heaven, that doesn't mean that Jesus has or had abandoned his disciples or has abandoned the church. Um, he promises them, and he promises us, that he will never leave us nor forsake us, that he is with us always, and he will be with us always to the very end of the age. But not only does he go with us, and he is behind us at our back, and he's at our front leading the way, he's also God who sets up shop and resides in us, mm. just as we reside in his heart. Uh, there is a mutual abiding between us, the Christian, and Christ, our Savior. Just like a, there's a mutual relation, this intimate relationship between a vine and its branches, where the real qualities of the vine are being visibly seen in the branches and we have a God who sets up shop in us, who then works through us that which he in advance has prepared for us to do that people see us as we see in what, um, in the beatitudes that people see our good deeds and they yeah. glorify our God. They see us mm-hmm. and they see Jesus. They see our, they see our father in heaven who loved us so much. He would send his son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins, to die and rescue us, to make us right with him. Yeah. Um, any closing thoughts or other things um, to add on Article 3? I do have a question. Yeah, go All right, for it. So in the tradition that I was brought up in, when it came to uh, Christ's second coming in that judgment of the living and the dead, one of the things that we were always told is that basically at this moment we're going to stand before God and he's going to bring up the Jumbotron where he's going to present to us <laughs> everything we did in our life and so he's going to show us all of our sin and he's going to show us essentially all our good 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 our, our well our good good works you know mm-hmm. and the thing that obviously that idea that god is going to stand there with me and show me on a giant television screen all my <laughs> sin horrified me yeah but and but as i started thinking about it as i started becoming more and more lutheran um one of the things I started thinking about is, well, if God has forgiven my sins and remembers them no more, like, why would he present them on a jumbotron and see, here are all the ways that you messed up in your life, you know? And yeah. so I guess my question is, is what is that judgment really going to look like? Uh, that's a good question. Um I don't. I can't say there's going to be a jumbotron. Yeah. <laughs> we'll put it that way. <laughs> but... Um, you do get the impression that very clearly from the words of scripture that basically, you know, that, that, uh, um, that our God judges by the book. Mm. And, um, I was reading with, um, I guess it may be a good section to look, a, a section of scripture to look at, which might, um, help out with this, this question of what is the, what is judgment day going to look like for me as a Christian? Um, is God going to open a book and basically, either show or share 
um, every single screw up I've ever done. Mm. Um, so the apostle Paul writes in Galatians chapter three, all who rely on observing the law are under a curse for it is written. Cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. Um, and if I want to look to my own confidence before God when it comes to my performance, and that's, that is where I anchor my hope and my peace and my joy, and that's where I really put my stock and trust, um, I'm in for a world of hurt. I'm about to get wrecked. The law is not based on faith. On the contrary, the man who does, who does these things will live by them. Um, uh, I, I can't keep God's law perfectly. That's that's the whole reason why we needed Jesus. Um on the last day when on the last day when we stand before God, you know, body and soul reunited and I now stand before um stand before our God. Um those who cling to Christ in faith their names are written in the book of life. And exactly what you just described is that my sins are my sins are remembered but they're not remembered on me yeah uh, there's a section of scripture that i i really love um from what jeremiah 31 is it yep oh yeah i'm on the money jeremiah 31 and i i kind of grappled with this too because how do you have an omniscient all-knowing god who then says, For I will forgive their wickedness and I will remember their sins no more. And you get the impression that, you know, as like, that God certainly remembers sins of the past in the sense that he, they're cataloged in Scripture. Yeah. And in fact, um, later on, like in the book of Hebrews um, or some other sections of Scripture, that these things are written about, maybe the. I think it's the book of Hebrews where these are written mm -hmm. about as kind of a, maybe somewhat of a warning or an ex as an example for you so that you remember these things and recall them to mind. Yeah. Um, that we don't make the same mistakes. Um, but you, with the Hebrew understanding of that word remember, um, what it's getting at is any time that like, God in the Old Testament says, or, but the Lord remembered his promise. It's mm -hmm. not that he had forgotten. Yeah. It's that he's about to take action. Right. He's about to take action. And that God will not remember our sins no more is that, that the action that God, <laughs> that his justice and his holiness and righteousness would have taken against me because of my sin, it has been taken, but just not against me. That my sins are remembered in Christ. Yeah. So that the, that any that any book would be opened, or that any any ledger that God might have, where that would say Sam did this on this day and this on this day, mm. my name's not next to those sins anymore. Yeah. Jesus' name is. He he like and this is where, this is where Galatians three beautifully finishes out, where it's talking about cursed is anybody who looks to the law for life. Mm. Um, whether it be, Judaizers at the time of Paul or even even people today who think by their own merits or their own works or their own submissiveness or their devoutness or their obedience or their faithfulness that somehow that's the reason they stand right before God. What does Paul then say? 
Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. He redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus, so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. The idea there being, um, my right standing before God is intimately wrapped up in who Jesus is and mm-hmm. what he's done for us. He would take my sin and he would make it his. And in exchange, give me his holiness and perfection. So that when our God sees us on the last day, um, if he were to cast on a jumbotron all the things that I that would wait that that if I looked at those things and then I would look at my and my heart would be tempted to see my confidence before God as wrapped up in my performance, um, mm. those sins are going to be those sins were claimed by Jesus. Yeah, because that was my conclusion too. Is that if if that does occur, if I if I'm before God and suddenly he whips out a jumbotron and says and <laughs> and forces me to watch every sin I ever committed, uh, the I think the only reason he would do that is to provide one last absolution to once again say here's what you did. Yep. But here's what my son did for you. I you there's know. one pastor that I re- admire tremendously who, um, he says anytime that people ask me the question. Um, as a Christian, he says, um, and when he was asked the question, um, what it would, you know, what do you say to God who then says to you, like you stand before God on judgment day and he says to you, why should I let you into my heaven? Mm. And he said, my response to God will be because you promised. Mm. Um, God loves it when we hold him to his word. <laughs> This isn't like I grab God's arm and I put it behind his back and I like coerce <laughs> him or force him to do that which he promises. It's it's I'm it's like you're holding God's feet to his own fire and he mm-hmm. invites you to do that. Like like hold, like these are promises that I made. I haven't forgotten them. We're the ones who forget them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> We're the ones who oh, yeah. are like, we, we totally forget, you know, does Jesus promise that he'll be with us always? Does Jesus promise that all of my sins have been forgiven? You know, I, yeah, I mean, and I heard this when I was a kid, but that was before the divorce. That was before the affair. That was before I embezzled all this thousands of dollars from my company. Or that was before I, I blew up at my children. That was before the substance abuse. Now, is there, does God's, does God's grace run this deep? Um, I'll give one last, and I suppose this is going to, this, this story will lead great into justification. Um, I was having a conversation with a teenager who um, is about to become a dad. Hmm. And this teenager was scared stupid because he knew that his life is about to change and there's all this other stuff going on. So there's the fear of, you know, how I'm going to finance bringing a child into this world and all Mm -hmm. this other stuff. And just a, just a dramatic amount of reality that's now not being foisted onto him. He knows he invited this into his life. Um, but the one thing that he wasn't sure was still real for him is does God's grace run this deep? Because he knew that he had screwed up. He knew that he this was not 
this is not a good or God-pleasing thing. Not to say that God's gift of sex is not a gift or that God doesn't desire that this gift be given or enjoyed, but God gives parameters, good parameters, for how this gift is to be enjoyed. God also underscores that this gift is is intimately connected to not just marriage, but also childbearing. Um, and he knew that he had taken a good gift and he had ripped into it too early and now had abused it and, and used it on his terms. And as a result, there's going to be some major consequences for that. But one of the fears that he had is, does God, you know, it is this, does this put me over the edge? Have I now ex- disqualified myself from God's, God's love? And, you know, after a very robust gospel presentation to this teenager, I look at him and I say, you want to go get some ice cream? He said, okay. Yeah. So we go to Dairy Queen, right? And we're in the drive-thru at the Dairy Queen. And I just look at him and I'm just like, Here's, we just got to get one thing straight though, right? If your buddies ask you, how did your conversation go with your pastor after you told him that you knocked up your girlfriend? And you say to him, well, he took me to go get ice cream. (laughs) (laughs) You better follow up with this. And what I said to him was that every time that, you know, that that this would be, this would remind you that the God's grace runs this deep. Hmm. That the sweetness of the gospel is sweet, even when it seems like I couldn't have screwed up any bigger. That I, the mess of my life that, that, you know, could God, in his goodness and his power and love, could he really transform the dysfunction of my life into a demonstration of his grace mm. and his power and his awesomeness and his forgiveness, his, that his mercies are new every morning, um, that there is no sin that's bigger than Jesus' sacrifice mm. on the cross, um, that every time that you would have Dairy Queen, that you would be reminded that the sweetness of the gospel runs this huh. deep. And I said, I, and I looked at him, I said, I hope I forever ruin Dairy Queen for you. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. But, but um, I guess in a roundabout way, that's, I guess that's what I would say. Judgment day is not a day that the Christian is in terror or fear and trepidation of. And, you know, kind of maybe what you're getting at, if um, you're getting at, you know, what do I look at for confidence before God? The fruits of my faith or my or the object of my faith? Mm. And we're going to get into that a little bit more when we get to Article 20 on good works. Yeah. But instead of, instead of looking at myself and seeing how lousy a, a branch I am, the better, or, or to ask, you know, what kind of branch I am in relation to Christ the vine, the better question to ask is what kind of vine is Jesus? Right. This past Sunday... Um, preached on John 15, 1 to 9. And that was the big thing is instead of when, when my, you know, when I look at my branch and I might see nothing but weak sauce (laughs) and just be like, man, I was, I was, I totally dropped the ball here. Mm -hmm. I shouldn't have said that. I shouldn't have done that. Impatience got a hold of me there and, or, um, or greed or lust or bitterness or anger, whatever sin might be tripping you up or making you feel like you're a lousy branch. Um, the better question to then ask is, is what kind of vine is Jesus? And from a theological point of view, what we're getting at is direct your eyes to not the fruits of your faith, but the object of your faith. Because it's the object of your faith that saves you, not your fruit. God doesn't need your fruit either. That's the other, that's like, you know, my neighbor does. Right. 
that these it's not like you know it's it's man that looks at the outward appearance the lord looks at the heart you know he doesn't need visible fruit to make a determination whether or not you're you're his child <laughs> he he in fact sees more fruit of faith in my life than i even see in my life you know kind of like um that there would be a heart of remorse worked in me in view of god's law that mm. in self that that's a fruit of faith mm. that is worked in my heart by you know god's word by the holy spirit I might not look at that as a fruit of faith, but it is. It is. And there are lots of other fruits of faith that we don't see. I think of uh, um, when uh, I was doing missionary work in East Asia, and I was uh, we were wrapping up a teen group uh, meeting. We, had, we met for our teen group in, on Fridays, and... We had like a teen group of like 35 some 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 teenagers, and I'm talking like these are kids who, when it came down to their feelings of worth and value, it was all wrapped up in their academic performance. Mm. And it's just everything is like so driven by, you know, me being a somebody is contingent on how I perform in school, and uh, you know. At the end of my two years of being in East Asia, I'm count. I, I found myself kind of maybe, maybe falling into the sin of David, kind of counting up his, his men, mm. <laughs> you know, you know, enumerating his fighting men, and uh, and I wasn't counting. You know, my the thing that I was counting up is what are the big lasting impacts from me serving in East Asia that that. Uh, that I can show for after two years. And I had a list of, I don't know, maybe 10 things in my heart and my mind that I was thinking like, these are going to be the big things. Hmm. My legacy, right. Is, is sinful, prideful, stupid, immature attitudes. Hmm. But this girl comes up to me and she was commenting on how much she was going to miss having me around. And and I was like, yeah, I'm gonna miss that too. I'm gonna, I'm gonna miss being here, and I'm gonna miss all of you. And this, just, I'm gonna, and we just, we just talked about how it just stunk. We certainly celebrated and rejoiced in the fact that when it comes to being Christians, it's never goodbye. It's always just see you later. Yeah. It's see you later. Mm. But the thing that she said to me is, she'll always remember the day that at the end of one teen group, you, you were saying goodbye to me, and then you just looked at me and you said, Jesus loves you. And she said that just, that just. I don't think you realize how much that that changed my life or how much that just left a tremendous impact on me because I had such a crappy day before you said that Hmm. and that God's grace ran that deep that his that his love for me would be at the other end of my awful day when I didn't think that it could possibly get any worse there is a smiling savior with nail pierced hands outstretched to me with love Hmm. and that hadn't made my list you know um, so what what I'm getting at here is, uh, and I suppose, like I said, we're going to get into this a little bit more when we get into Article 20, but, but focusing on the Son of God, Christ, the object of our faith, um, as my confidence before him. Mm. And because of that, the day that Jesus will come again openly, visibly, um, not like a thief in the night. I mean, I mean, he'll come like a thief in the night and then nobody will know the hour of the day. But he's not going to be like a thief that, that comes with shadows and darkness to try and hide himself from you. Um, uh, it, it, there will be no mistaking his coming this time. Right. 
every knee will bow, every tongue will confess. Uh, it's no matter what uh, side of the world that you're at, it, the, the day that Jesus comes again in glory, um, no one's getting caught flat-footed. <laughs> I mean, yes, people will get. They'll, I mean, they'll be caught flat-footed in in that we don't know. Again, we don't know the hour or the day, but it's not going to be like he may or may not be returning or he may or may not be back. It's going to be visibly evident, undeniably evident to everyone Mm -hmm. is what I'm getting at. Uh, Jacob, you got any final thoughts for um, article three? Um, I don't think so, but I do think that's an excellent segue into article four though, for sure. Do you want to read this one? Oh, I'll read it. All right, here we go. Our teaches our our churches teach that people cannot be justified before God by their own strengths, merits, or works. People are freely justified for Christ's sake through faith when they believe that they are recognized or received into favor and that their sins are forgiven for Christ's sake. By his death, Christ made satisfaction for our sins. God counts this faith for righteousness in his sight. And then it has uh, two sections of scripture there. It has Romans 3 and 4. And um, I'll look at the exact references that are there just so that you can kind of hear the, the scriptural support or citation that's that's provided by the, the Lutheran confessors there. So it has Romans 3, 21 through 26. So the heading in a lot of Bibles that you're going to find is righteousness through faith for this section. Um, But now a righteousness from God apart from the law has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. So notice Paul Pitt's observance, righteousness that comes by observance of the law against the righteousness that comes through faith in Jesus. So it puts faith against works. Um... Therefore, or there is no, or there is no difference, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and all are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented Him as a sacrifice of atonement through faith in His blood. He did this to demonstrate His justice, because in His forbearance He had left sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate his justice at the present time so as to be um, just and the one who justifies the man who has faith in Jesus. Um, We see that, you know, when it comes to, if I would look to my, if I would look to to find or to obtain or procure righteousness before God by virtue of my performance or obedience to God's law, I would never find it. I'd never have it. I could never do it. Mm. Um, and with Romans three twenty three and 24, you see the beautiful presentation of that. Because all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Because, you know, so basically we, by virtue of us being born in sin, we could not look to God's law for life. Therefore, God, for the sake of, you know, justifying us freely by his grace and to redeem us, Christ Jesus came into the world. 
Um, so, yeah, as the, as Jacob very awesomely read, um, people cannot be justified. That word justify, um, the Greek, dikaio, so to be declared righteous or innocent or not guilty. So it's kind of a, has a forensic mm. sense to it. Um, often in scripture, to be declared not guilty or justified or made right, reconciled. Or, you know, there's a lot of pictures and imagery there, but it uses forensics terms. It kind of brings you into a courtroom mm-hmm. where um, the judge might look at all that you've done and you'd expect the guilty verdict to be passed to you instead. It's, you're not guilty by liability or punishment. You know, the guilty verdict is given to someone else. I think what's also important in view of that section of scripture from Romans is that God does not turn, you know, his justice, you know, it's not like God looks at our sin and turns a blind eye to it. Like, Mm -hmm. like God's some plushy pushover grandpa God who had some serious rules when he was a dad. But as soon as the grandkids come over, then it's like they stay up till they stay up to 11 and they're eating junk food for dinner and they're jumping on the bed and they're jumping on the couch and they're watching PG 13 or rated R movies it's just like, what happened to, like, where was this when I was a kid? We say when when, when the grandpa hands us back our kids. It's like, you, you didn't let me do this. <laughs> you know, you, you suddenly you go soft when it came mm. to your rules or something, or, or, or raising children. Um, it's not that God turns a blind eye to sin. It's that God's justice is satisfied in Christ. Right, yeah, because I've heard a lot of, well, I've read a lot of Roman apologists who will say the issue with the Lutheran argument that we're saved by faith alone is that it's inconsistent with God's character. And so what they're claiming is that if God is truly a holy God who can't tolerate sin, then he can't forgive sin, you know, through faith alone. But the thing is, is like you're saying, God doesn't just let us off the hook he puts you know our punishment on his own son jesus christ and so god's wrath god's holiness is still being satisfied and that and that's and that's critical is that here we see one theologian said you know at the cross of christ god's justice and his love kissed Mm -hmm. or you can say converged Mm -hmm. you see a beautiful presentation of a holy righteous god who is absolutely just you see that same God enduring his justice for us. He's not, like I said, he's not like, oh, I'm going to give sin a pass. That's not, and I think a lot of times where people might come at Christians where they'd say, really? You're just saved by trusting this guy was this perfect substitute for you? My goodness, do you, you're kind of cheapening the character of God. Mm. Um, Uh, I think that those those types of accusations come from a from a failure to a depreciation of Christ's suffering and death. Yeah. They're emptying what took place in space and time on Good Friday. Um, and not just Good Friday. Lest we give the impression that Christ's suffering on our behalf was confined to only um, uh, one day hmm. on one week of one year. Um I've seen other people say that, that Jesus shedding his blood for us already began at his, his circumcision, mm. right? Where there was blood that was shed for me, and it was blood that, you know, he, his obedience to the law already as a child. Um, or that 
that our Savior was tempted in every way that we that we are. Mm. These were not like some, you know, there was anguish there. There was hurt there. This it was not like, yeah, I mean, no, the devil could not get Jesus to fall into sin, but that didn't mean that these weren't real temptations. Um, but, but then also to endure rejection by God the Father in space and time and on Calvary, mm-hmm. that the the eternality of of hell would be compressed into space and time, and then and then endured by Jesus in our place. Um, when it comes down to the death, his death on the cross, or what he endured on the cross, the the whips, the beating, the crown of thorns. I mean, these things were but a paper cut compared to the the spiritual dimension that was going on there where to satisfy the wrath of a holy god the justice of god the full the full weight of the hammer of god's law dropped on god's son so that it wouldn't drop on me mm-hmm. and so there i see god's love i see god's love stepping into the line of fire to save me um, and how does that not then change the way that I see not only myself, but the way I see other people? It changes the way that I see God. Um, I no longer see God, you know, the words of the gospel, I, I no longer see God as this fierce ogre, this terrifying, you know, you know, static, emotionless, stoic deity, hmm. like the divine, like a divine algorithm or something who's just input sin, output fire, <laughs> you know, <laughs> where basically, but, but that there is a, a God who truly is um, gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love and faithfulness. But mm-hmm. yeah. And, uh, you know, I, I think of maybe another objection I've heard to that, and this might be a closing thought, is that uh, and we can pick up, we can look at Article 4 a little bit more next time, too. I've often heard people say, well, you, you, you Lutherans or you Protestants talk, you, you, you preach a cheap grace. Mm-hmm. Have you ever heard that before? Oh, yeah. Where basically, um, uh, it's, and, and what, what it is, is it's kind of getting at what you're at is, Part of their soteriology or part of their theology of salvation or how you're right with God is intimately wound around or or revolves around or requires your cooperation, your obedience, your you need to now go and do. Mm. Um, and um, as soon as we underscore, the, the, whether it be from Galatians 5 or from Romans 3 and 4, that it is... Um, entirely on account of Christ and Christ mm-hmm. alone, who he is and what he's done, that we then stand confident before God, not by my works, lest I would have reason to boast in myself, because mm-hmm. let him who boasts, boast only in the Lord. There's our boast. There's our That's the, the ground upon which we stand. I had nothing but, but sin to give. I could reach as deep into my pockets as I wanted, and I would find nothing but, mm-hmm. but sin. You know, dust, dust bunnies and lint to pay towards the infinite debt that I had towards a holy, righteous God. So he paid it for me. Um, and that cost God something. Mm. That cost, 
that cost God his life. That cost the blood of God, which is why it was so beautiful. You get to First Peter, and it talks about the, the ransom payment to redeem us was not gold or silver, but with Christ's holy, precious blood and his innocent suffering and death. Hmm. Um, but Jacob, closing thoughts, I guess, for this episode? Um, hmm. Yeah, well... It's kind of interesting that you mentioned that one of the exact one of the accusations that we receive is that we cheapen grace, you know, because I've actually heard that a lot from a lot of Protestant circles is, you know, is that by saying that you're wholly saved uh, by trusting in Christ as your savior, you know, mm-hmm. that you're somehow cheapening grace because, you know, then like, what are you saying? You don't have to like follow it up by being a good person, you know, like, like, are you, are you saying I can just believe and then just do whatever I want? You know, I can just, you know, live how I want. And of course, you know, as Paul says in Romans, you know, by no means, you know, you know, I mean, now that Christ has redeemed me as he's paid my ransom now, not to earn any, you know, now I want to serve him. I want to serve him others and it's not because i get anything out of it not because you know god's you know uh lessening my sentence in purgatory or something you know and so a lot of times when people will say you know like you cheapen grace i say no i don't i'm i i I don't cheapen grace i'm asserting though that it's absolutely free and actually what's what's rather ironic is that those who would who would then for the sake of insisting that works are necessary for salvation and that to say otherwise is to cheapen grace. I would argue the opposite. Right. That to say that works are necessary for salvation, you're the one who's cheapening grace. Right. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> because that flies right in the face of Ephesians 2, 8, 9. It is by grace that you've been saved through faith, not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. Um, that's a good point. And I suppose that that is a great note to end on. We're a little over time, but you know what? That's all good. Um, Thanks, everybody, for hanging out, and uh, we'll see you again next week.